So, dear Jana, <laughs> welcome to my Broken English podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, no worries. I was uh, super happy to invite you. Um, so, yeah, to give a bit of uh, introduction, how we know actually each other. So, Jana uh, Fezic, yeah? Jana Fezic is my fellow comedian, and we met uh, through the comedy scene here in Berlin. Um, I think I saw your open mic, I think, somewhere in Neukölln before I actually started doing open mics. Oh, okay. And I, I briefly said, hi, you were great. your set was great. I was still like uh, very shy to start doing open mics. It was at Tyrone's show, I think. Okay. But then like, uh, I think maybe it was January or something, just shortly before the stand-up awards. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, to say a bit more, like Jana is uh, upcoming comedian in Berlin that is just after five months was in finals for um, best young comic award is it the Berlin version better I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I mean I was also in finals, yeah, I'm not finals like, well. I was also in finals like as really uh, beginners and uh, that's how we actually uh, got to know each other a bit more but yeah Berlin comedy scene it's quite also easy to start noticing the names and uh, and people uh, going through the open mics and shows and uh, yeah so for me the first question maybe because you're also now like escalating yes you're super hardworking and like how it came so fast this because if I understood before you were working something else yes. I mean, we will come to other professions that you have and uh, the, the, yeah, your jobs, but how come it came so rapidly to this? Oh, um, I was planning on leaving. I worked uh, for a big company and I was planning on leaving anyway. And then they uh, let me go unlawfully. They fired me, actually. So I had to sue them in this whole big thing. So right when I left the company, the same day that I got fired, I remember I went to a show and I was already doing regular shows then, but that was like kind of the moment where I was like, well, this I'm in it now, 100%. <laughs> so I went and had a show and I remember um, I was actually talking to, it was the Laughing Spree show, the show on the boats. So I remember the day that um, I was let go, I went to a comedy show and I said to... Uh, I think it was Chris and Dragos, and I was like, well, this is what happened. And they were like, do you want to work with us? <laughs> I was like, sure. <laughs> so I, I do the social media marketing for propaganda comedy, and I help uh, book and plan tours for Dragos. So that kind of really helped me escalate it even more, and on top of doing shows. And then they kind of, you know, very thankfully, they started asking me, hey, do you want to produce your own shows? And I was like, sure. And then I started producing. And then so, yeah, that's kind of how that kicked well, off. Yeah, this is for me uh, what kind of, I mean, um, you really, I mean, with all these circumstances, you really dig into it. I mean, I'm still like doing shows. I'm not sure if I would. I had this thought of producing shows and I spoke shortly with Dragos, but in some other context, uh, like art institutions and so, which would have a different note. But um, and yeah, for me it was interesting, uh, like, you know, we know that open mics are unpaid. And uh, I mean, this is not uh, something also to be said, it's all In over the world, you know? Berlin. Berlin. <laughs> A lot of them are unpaid. If you go to other cities, they pay you something. Re like which other cities? Lisbon, like Paris, Amsterdam, they give you, they pass you something at least. At um, the end. But I will say there's a lot of us comedians that started maybe in the last year or two we're changing that we're paying the comedians. Yes. And my shows are all paid now. Yeah. Pay the comedians. I mean, this is, I hope it's going to change. Like I also had like a couple of times unexpected, you know, because you don't expect much. But yeah, no, I, I, you also come uh, from US and I was also there and it's, you know, you need to pay for open yeah, mics, yeah, you know, it's a completely different thing. But for me it was interesting. Okay, like you quit the job and you went full into comedy. And I was like, how this girl can live from this? Like. <laughs> Because I, I would be completely scared. I choose this path of the adding to my career, you know, as a, as a medium that I would work in. 
but it's not something that I would ever think of uh, it will generate my income. Actually, it was deducting from my income. I was like getting broke because of it. Yeah, so I used to work in finance, so I have a really different way. Like, I'm pretty good with my money, so I have a savings for like seven months set aside in case I ever need it. Um, I also, I have a lot of sort of spinning plates. So right now my main thing is like comedy, but I'm, we'll get into it I guess later, but I also teach dance and, and do online stuff like that and uh, I'm a podcaster as well. So that I've taken a bit of a step back this year to focus more on comedy, but that's another source of income. But for comedy, aside from doing shows, uh, producing them also makes me money and then also doing, like I said, working with propaganda, that's also a nice extra thing. And um, I also had, I remember right when I left my job, I had like a corporate gig as well. So that's another option. So you do have other ways to make it. It's just you got to hustle. Yeah, really that, that, that's, hustle. that's yeah. what I think. Like if I would now also decide to, you know, pause everything almost and decide just to go into it and start to mingle around network, of course, there will be ways to, you know, do this. Yeah. But yeah, for people to just get an image of, uh, you know, because when I say it's someone, I'm starting, I'm, you know, I'm doing stand-up comedy, they're like, of course, they get like, wow, it's so courageous, it's so great. But, you know, not knowing actually the financial aspects of this, how yeah. much work goes into this, it's unbelievable. When I started, like, it's just like the writing part and, you know, going like, your social life is dead, basically, you know, in the evenings, except like actually hanging with comedians and there. But, uh, you know, and then when you start explaining this to people, they're like, oh, okay, well, you know, oh, you're telling the same joke twice. Oh. <laughs> yeah, people don't realize uh, that that's completely normal. It's the same as a, as a dance teacher and as a dancer. It's like, it's okay to perform the same thing because you're not going to have the same audience most of the time it's not going to be the same audience so but yeah a lot of people don't realize that um so to come now to uh other topic is like you're here in berlin since eight years now uh yeah since 2014 in the summer 2014 yeah. but you're actually bosnian born yes i was yes. born in bosnia and uh so my mother she's uh, serbian my dad's bosnian and I was born there. I uh, lived there for about two and a half years. When oh, we where, where in Bosnia? I was born in Zenica. Mm -hmm. And then we lived in Tuzla, though. So that's where my, my mom's uh, family was from. And we lived there for about, or I lived there for about two and a half years. And then the war started, we moved to Germany. So you were quite small, yeah, two yes. and a half years old. Okay. Yeah, I only lived there for a couple of years. And then when we lived in, we lived in Bavaria uh, for about six and a half years after that. We would go back for the summer, though. Yeah. And then... Um, Very standard procedure. So when you came to Germany as a child, I suppose you learned German. I did, yeah. I learned German as a child, but then I had to move to... Or then we moved, had to move to the States, and I forgot all my German because I had to learn English, and there was no one to practice German with in Florida. <laughs> there was no Germans there. So I had uh, two or three months to learn English. Wow. For the summer, yeah, we got there in May, and the school started up again in like end of August, beginning of September. And I remember I had to learn English enough to not get held back for the next year, to continue the grade uh, that I, I was going to start. I believe it was. I don't remember what grade that was now. It was like nine. Yeah. I remember, but, yeah. but how how was like? I don't have that experience, you know, but. What would be interesting to me to know, I mean, probably for a lot of people, I think um, now uh, also within the scene that I'm moving around, it's starting to this topic of diaspora children, you know, that I think when I was in US, actually, there, there is this like immigrant biennale and they, they told me about the term. I don't know if the term it's like kind of valid, but for me it was interesting. It's called one and a half generation. Okay. So it's not the first generation, like let, let, that would be your parents. Yeah. It, you were not second generation because you were born in Bosnia. Yeah. So you were kind of in between, yeah. you know? And, but how was for you as a child also like, I mean, switching between these three countries, like from Bosnia, Germany and did you feel also I mean I'm sure there was sort of impact but um, 
in, in a cultural shock and so on, but uh, how was for you like navigating through these, not just languages, but, but the culture uh, through, you know, neighborhoods, through with the people, you know? Yeah, I had someone recently ask me like, so what do you call yourself when someone asks you? And it's always the most complicated. I just say I was born in Bosnia, but I, was, I grew up in the States and now I live in Germany. Like that's the most succinct way because I don't feel any which direction of anything. So growing up, I, I'm very lucky that I feel like I had an innate interest in other languages and other cultures and people. I think that would have made it a lot harder if I didn't. Um, so I, it never really bothered me as a kid moving around. So like that was just part of like, you know, the... Yeah, you did not know different. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I didn't guess. know any different and I knew it was for, every, I knew <laughs> for you know, a good reason. <laughs> Civil War and all that. So, you know, I never really thought anything too much ab about it. So I kind of always went towards groups where there's other immigrants. Like most of my friends, no matter what country I lived in, were also other immigrants or refugees, asylum seekers, like from other countries, just because that's just what we had more in common with. And also because at that point I spoke at least, you know, when I was growing up, at least two languages. So meeting other people like that. And how was the, you know, perspective for your parents? You know, I guess they went really, are you the only child? No, I have a younger brother. Yeah, younger brother. So how was for your parents also, I mean, um, when it, in terms of parenthood and, um, you know, going through life like that and, you know, needing to pass to their children certain... Um, I mean, for my parents, I have a really different... And it's very interesting speaking to another Bosnian about this because you have a different... You obviously have a different view on this because you you were born there you grew up there you lived there up until recently you know where you identify yourself as Bosnian because that's what you are even when we speak we speak in Bosnian which is yeah. really weird to speak to in English right now it's really strange but with my parents I, I was always raised because I was from like quote-unquote mixed background I was always raised to like not to think of the typical Yugoslavian mentality and typical Bosnian Balkan mentality in the sense of like like, for example, all my, my friends that I grew up with going to middle school and high school back in Florida, you know, it's very much like you have to marry someone from, from this country, you have to marry someone from this religion. And most of them did. There's, you know, there's not much, even though they live in a completely different country, even though, and my parents didn't raise me that way. They didn't, they didn't put that much importance on specific cultural things because in that time, especially when I was born, a lot of it was, you know, these feelings of like our country's going to shit, yeah. you know, Yugoslavia is no more, yeah. you know, this type of like fine line between patriotism and nationalism yeah. kind of thing that I always grew up yeah. with. Well, you said head. now something that triggered uh, like a uh, thought in my head. You said, um, you know, you are from so-called mixed marriage. Yeah, which is uh, maybe to someone from US when you say you're from mixed, to them. Yeah. they would be like, wow, you're fully always, white. Yeah, exactly. You know? I say a mixed ethnic. Yeah, mixed it's like, yeah. for me now, really came this in mind, like, it's very complicated. Like, uh, uh, my family members were also, uh, my uncle, so they also migrated to Australia. It, it was like, you know, this post-war migration. So, uh, you know, because of the circumstances of the, to keep the family together, it was the best thing to leave, you know? So it's completely understandable when you say this to me or even in European soil, you know? Yeah. But when you are like in US and you know from what kind of context you're coming and when they say, oh, why are you migrating? Well, we are from mixed. I'm like, okay. I mean, how perceived was it? Of course, you need to like, always additionally yeah, explain. Yeah, I always had to additionally explain. I mean, for me, it wasn't so much, it's, it's weird. There's people that are like, oh my God. So obviously for people that don't know, in, in former Yugoslavia, the way it is, it's the, it's your religion's party ethnicity, right? So even if I didn't grow up Muslim, I yeah. have half my family's Muslim, but, but it doesn't mean that we're practicing. So even though, you know, no one in my family is very necessarily religious, that's, you know, it's part of the ethnicity, and that's hard to explain it to people than, like, say, you know, so I try to explain, okay, it's as if, the closest thing I, I can always relate to is, like, oh, you meet someone that says they're Jewish, but they've never been to synagogue. 
that's kind of it's like you're culturally maybe Jewish, but you know you don't practice yeah. it religiously. That's sort of the closest thing I can try to explain to people that don't know anything about that. And um, I didn't really have to explain too much because I think, if I remember correct, I know my parents always said they're German. They never associated. Really? It's the easy, it, but it was the easiest thing. People ah, don't so know it where. Was like, ah, okay, so it was sort of mechanism to cope with the, with the circumstances. That and it's just a lot easier because Americans, bless their hearts, they're very friendly, but they ask so many questions about where you're from and things I like should. that. Okay. And so it was just a lot easier to say, you know, we're, we're German, we're from Germany. And, and it was believable? Yeah, because they have, I mean, they don't necessarily understand the different accents. My dad, they uh, have yeah. thick accents in English, <laughs> okay. and they're just like, sure, that sounds right. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, okay. And my dad does, to be fair to my dad, my dad, when he speaks in English, he does use a lot of German words mm. just thrown in there. That's, I'm so. completely all up for mixing, because this is the reality. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, now I live 10 years uh, out of my uh, country. I don't know which language I'm speaking anymore, <laughs> like really, and uh, I'm completely for mixing. I know that when I go back to Boston, they make jokes of you. Yeah. Oh, you forgot your mother tongue. Well, well, now it's yeah. almost half, half of my life that I'm outside. You yeah. Know? yeah. And some topics I never dealt in my mother tongue language. Yeah, exactly. Some things that you just never had to say in, yeah. in other languages. Like, it's really weird because I'll think of some things easier in another language sometimes mm. than in English or in Bosnian because it's like, I've never had to say that maybe, or haven't had to say it yeah. that often. But I completely also understand the, your parents' situation. You know, they would rather say the German, thinking it's easier to explain, but also that, that thing comes as well. It's just because, uh, you know, when I say to someone, um, I'm from Bosnia, but then somewhere I sleep, yeah, I speak Serbian. I was like, but you're from Bosnia. How come you speak Serbian? Are you from Serbia? And then the whole waterfall yeah. needs to come like, you know, it's three languages, it's this and that. And, you know, just sometimes I would be lying. I think when I came to Germany in one of these podcasts, I already mentioned I was lying that I'm from Serbia. Not that necessarily that's better, <laughs> than, but, but just that I don't need to explain exactly. the multi-ethnicity of yeah. the country and to not explain geographical position because everyone knows where kind of Belgrade is, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's easier to connect. Um, and you know, I, there was a, some part of shame of in me, you know, like um, when I came to Germany, that's why I was lying. And you know, just after a couple of years, I tried to reflect on this, why I was escaping. Mm -hmm. Also, I think there was this incor incorporated nationalistic spirit as yeah. a child because yeah. I was Bosnian Serb. So naturally, you should stream towards the Serbians and Serbia yeah, yeah, yeah. and like Serbian parts and so on and so on, which is like nonsense. But uh, yeah, I completely understand that position. And um, but um, how many languages do you speak? I speak five. Yeah, okay, yeah. so five languages. Yes. <laughs> so what are these languages? So I always say Serbo-Croatian, yeah. but yeah, know, same thing. Yeah, uh, English, German, Spanish, and Portuguese. And you speak a bit of Arab. I do. Yeah. So I speak. Yeah, those are the five that yes. I'm fluent yes. in, and uh, I can read and write and speak a little bit of Arabic, Italian, and French. Okay, and how come all these languages came to your life? I mean, probably you have talent. I was always innately interested yes. in learning other languages. It came to me easier, probably because mm. I had to learn yeah. <laughs> the other languages. Uh, so obviously, Bosnian sort of creation, however you want to call it. Uh, for my parents, speaking to them and my family. Mm. Uh, English, I learned in the States. German as a kid when yes. I went to school there. And, and now it came back when you came here, yeah? It came back, yeah. I okay. had to change my accent, though, because okay. I had a Bavarian accent and no one oh. in Berlin could understand me. So I had to, to change up to a more mm. Berlin accent. And uh, yeah, Spanish and Portuguese. Spanish I learned in school mm -hmm. in the States. And um, Portuguese, once you know Spanish, it's a lot easier to learn Portuguese. Okay. So Portuguese I learned uh, from my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> He was Brazilian, and so I learned it. Uh, we were together for a long time, so okay. I learned it to, from his family, actually, yeah. when we visited there and all that. So. Okay, that sounds cool. And you perform, when you, uh, because you're producing shows, comedy shows in, yeah. in uh, Lisbon as well. Uh, are you performing in some other languages as well? No, uh, they're in English. They're all in English. The thing is, uh, I would love to try one day in Spanish and Portuguese. But it's it's that's just my overachieving brain that wants to try. I think I should just stick to English. 
in Lisbon, though, the problem is in Portugal, I speak Brazilian Portuguese, which is a very different accent to the Portuguese from Portugal. So I wouldn't be able to do anything there in Portugal. Like, I would be able to do a set, but then I couldn't do crowd work if someone was yeah. from Portugal and they'd be like, answering me, but I'm like, I don't know. I can't understand your accent. You know, when, it's, when you learn a language that's not your native language, you learn that accent. Mm. And it's so hard to understand yeah. other accents. Yeah. yeah, that's like a whole other level. Yeah, but do you have also this fear, um, you know, performing in different languages? So, for example, um, if you would go now to Portugal and you want to perform in Portugal, you know, like it's it's not like you live there, so you don't know the everyday um, life or, or jokes or like circumstances that people could really relate to because you don't live there. Yeah. And this is always my fear, like even to, to go somewhere and of course I could do the sets that I would say could work, you know, some jokes that are going cross, cross nations or cross geography and, uh, but you know, like, do, do you have this experience now when you go to Lisbon? I mean, you're quite often there, so I guess you know. Yeah, I'm there regularly, but again, it's in English only. Um, yeah. So my sets are all in English. The jokes, I think regardless of what language you do, I think when you, know a little bit about the culture that helps you a lot in, in your uh, in your set. Like I have a bit about uh, I only do this bit in Lisbon or when I go to Portugal because it doesn't make sense anywhere else. It's uh, or if or if I knew if I had a room full of Portuguese speakers. But I talk about how I try to practice my Portuguese when I go to Lisbon, but I speak Brazilian Portuguese. I can speak back to you but I can't understand you, so I have to switch back to English anyway, and they're just looking at me like, oh, Americana stupida, which is just, oh, American, stupid American. And then it's a whole thing. So that, 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 I can only do that when I know enough people in the room know Portuguese. But it's the same when I have my set here or anywhere, like I talk about, I grew up in Florida, so I speak Latin American Spanish, I love Colombian and Puerto Rican Spanish. It wouldn't make sense maybe in Spain, for example. Yeah. And so a lot of the things that I reference for, are cultural things that I grew up with in Florida are, are the music, reggaeton music, bachata music. It's very Latin American culture that I grew up with in Florida because I had a lot of friends from there. And so that also only makes sense if there's enough people in the room that understand that. So it's like when you're doing a set, you constantly have to sort of, sort of shift in your head. Like, are there enough people in the audience either from my own crowd work or from the opener or the host, whoever did it, like you kind of pay attention to where are people from and are they going to get this? Same if I talk about using words in German, like going to the Ausländerbehörde, the immigration office, things like that. Are there enough Germans in the audience? Is it going to make sense because they've never been to the immigration office, but they're also with people from other countries? Yeah, you know, yeah. So you always have to kind of to see. see in your head, yeah, like yeah, do yeah. people understand the so references I'm making? How I was growing up in Florida? I mean, okay. I, I don't I know much about it except, you know, some stero stero yeah. stereotypes. But it's always interesting. People assume that Florida is the worst of all the states. But I am so jaded by America that they're all bad. <laughs> so that to me is like, you know what I mean? You meet, I usually, when I have a bit in my, uh, in, in my set, I talk about, you know, I lived in Florida for 13 years. And it's always funny to me the reaction I get from people as if, uh, other Americans especially, as if like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, you are also from a shit state. <laughs> like, you're from America. I'm sorry. <laughs> so that's always interesting to me. Um, but going to Florida was fine. Like, it's just it wasn't for me. And you feel, you're especially because I grew up in Bavaria before that. I lived in Bavaria as a kid for like six and a half years and then moving to America. It was very much all the things that I was taught to kind of look out for or not like, or to not necessarily that they're bad, but just like maybe don't do this. And then you go to America, it's very different. Like you would never stand to pledge allegiance to a flag in Germany. That would be insane. Yeah. But in America, you do that every single day in school. You have to memorize the Pledge of Allegiance. You, I mean, you have to put your hand over your heart. You don't have to, you can just stand. But if you sat down, I mean, we know if you take a knee, <laughs> it's, you get canceled. So, and that I remember very much growing up, thing at like age nine, being like, "This is kind of crazy," and everyone's like, "No, this is how we do things." And that to me is is a yeah. little bit insane. This whole idea, this whole very very patriotic 
feeling that Americans have for something that I was raised all my entire life to be like, you have no say in where you were born. Yeah. There's no reason for you to be proud of what country you're from because you don't have a say in where you were born. Yeah. Whereas in America, it's very much different. So that was always to me like I didn't feel like I connected with that because I was never. I'm American. I'm an American citizen. Sure, I'm uh, American. You, have a, you got a like passport? Citizenship. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Passport. Okay. But even that, what people don't know is. That's a whole other immigration thing. But like, for example, I have the passport because my parents naturalized, took the test. My brother and I were under 18, so, so that gives a pass. pass so it they to also kids. get a passport. Your yes, parents. yes, okay. yes. So everyone in my family, my parents, my brother and I, we have citizenship. We have passports. But because they took the test and they passed it, you can only pass it to one generation. Mm. Which means. If I have kids, I can't pass it on to them. So it's called derivative citizenship. That's very strange. So your, let's say, your children would not have a citizenship, even though you if, are citizen. If I married an American or if I had kids in the states, that's how they would get it. But me myself, I can't pass it because the test, mm -hmm. the, the way my parents naturalized, it only gets passed down one generation. Yeah. So that's a whole other thing too. It's like I'm not American enough to be American. I'm not. But can you vote? I can vote. Yeah, I vote. Okay. But. Like I can't obviously I can't run for president, but that's yeah. But you do have thing. still dual citizen or no? No, because we had to give up. The ah, you one. needed to give yeah. up. Yeah. Okay, but uh, was it? I mean, I don't know how old you were and your brother, but was it expensive, hard? How was the for your parents? Because you know, like the stories I hear or like see, it seemed like you know. It's very, very difficult. difficult. It's very very difficult. You know? It's uh, you asked me before about how my parents. You know, the way that we all immigrate obviously as, as a family, but the way that we were as immigrants is very different. Like I had to navigate school and sort of this identity, not identity crisis, but just a sort of like not knowing where to fit in. Whereas my parents had to navigate all the other shit that I had to navigate here in Germany, right? Like finding a job, making sure the, the visa is good and then getting, you know, all that stuff. So my parents had a whole different experience than the, to what I had, obviously. But we, I remember we, you have to be in the country with a green card for at least five years, and then you can apply for citizenship. And we, were, we waited for two years until my parents got the uh, invitation to take the test. So two years, we were without any passport. We couldn't leave because you had to so give up. So you couldn't leave the country, you yeah? Leave the country. So after five years of green card, yeah. you had two years of the... We waited for two years to yeah, tell, okay. them, tell them to take the test. And then they took the test. So after basically seven years in the country. What's the test? The citizenship test? Yeah, yeah. I mean, is it like in Germany here? Same like, you know, you need to know the It's apparently a lot it. easier. Oh. It's a lot easier, apparently. I mean, I don't because I was a kid, so yeah. I, don't, I didn't have okay. to, to learn it. Okay. But it's, it's always like the joke is that this is notoriously easy. And the fact that immigrants is not... It's, I'm saying it's easy in comparison to like other countries. Like a lot of Americans that were born in America wouldn't be able to pass the test, for yeah. example. But no, apparently I think, from what I understand, I think you get all the, the potential questions. You just study a whole bunch mm -hmm. of what could be. I don't know how many questions they have. Yeah. Uh, but my, yeah, my parents passed the test. And... Uh, is there like financial aspect to this? Like, do you need to pay for that, or you can? It's, oh, it's like for I don't free. Know. I don't think it's for free. I highly, I would be super surprised. Yeah. But honestly, I don't know because I never looked into it because I yeah. didn't have to. Crazy. Yeah, I had yeah. no clue. But uh, yeah, I can. But uh, also, the way you speak. I mean, it's you know, you from Bosnia to Germany to Germany to U.S. After six years being in Germany, so. Um, did your parents have, uh, like, did they went through the job or what kind of uh, visas they went into the, let's say, U.S. from Germany, you know, like? Yeah, so at the time, uh, in the late 90s, when we went there, we got to the States basically because Germany, you know. Yeah, they, 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 they were they like, it's peace now, so you exactly. can go back. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's essentially Germany's refugee policy. It's yeah. when the war is done, you go back to your country. I have a lot of friends uh, that kind of after five, six years, kids returned, like, you know, family returned to Bosnia. 
you know, the kids were in school making friends, learned the language, speaking fluently, like after three, four years in school, and now just to town, go back. And now these same kids are returning to Germany, you know, to study. You know, language comes back very easy, or they probably have, have language, they never forgot it. And again, they need to go through all these visas. Well, that was, that's yeah, literally my story. It's so yeah. fucking I feel absurd, like I'm here yeah. to avenge my family. Yeah. <laughs> like, literally, because. What is happening? He's messaging me. Sorry. My phone kept buzzing. I'm like, what is happening? Um, that's basically my story, too. So I don't remember what the rules were back then because I was a kid, so I wouldn't know this. But I believe even now you have to be in Germany for at least seven years and then take the citizenship test, I believe. I think it's seven years to be here. And we were there for six and a half, right? And then at the time, the way the German system worked is that they would shorten our visas. So it went from years to a year and a half to months. And then to try to find a job, you know, it's a, it's a whole ca it's kind of catch-22 thing, yeah, right? Yeah. You're you like, I, ha I can stay up until a year. Exactly. A job, yes. So at the time when Germany was doing this, uh, other countries opened up their doors. So uh, Canada, America, Australia were, were some of the countries that did that. True. And so that's how we ended up there. And yeah, okay. um, I don't know exactly which type of the visa name. Mm -hmm. Actually, I just yeah. learned this a couple years ago. My parents never told me why we went to the States. They were just like, we're going. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I never asked because, you know, yeah. Bosnian parents, why would you ask anything? <laughs> You're just like, all right, I'm going. And um, then I found out, you know, the more people I met here, and it, it's the same story. And then I looked into it and stuff. And then I remember my dad, last time I visited, we had this conversation about this. And he was just like, you know, this is what they did to us when we were there. Like, what are you going to do when they don't give you your residency? And at that point, I didn't have my residency. I didn't have my permanent residency. So I kind of feel like I'm here to avenge the past in a sense, yeah. because now I have my permanent residency. And technically, I could bring family members under that. Mm. So I feel like it's like a roundabout way yeah, of giving my parents now the better future. Mm. But, you know, obviously, yeah. they're, they're so... But the idea of uh, your family returning to Bosnia, um, I guess, was at that time, of course, unimaginable. Because the state, I mean, even now, the state's still fucked up, you know? like. Um, but um, have you continued visiting Bosnia throughout I time? or no? So when I lived in Germany, and then I believe we went a couple times when we moved to the States, um, we used to go over the summer. But I haven't visited because I don't have close family there anymore. Uh, I still have an apartment there that um, no one's using. <laughs> it's, in, it's in my name. I used my grandparents. Uh, in Tuzla? In Tuzla, yeah. But I haven't gone there just because I don't really have close family anymore to visit there. So I haven't gone back in a long time. I know whenever my cousins from Australia or somewhere from Austria, they were visiting, you know. And, you know, I grew up in the village and they would come from these big states, you know. It was always weird dynamic. I would be like a villager kid, like some <laughs> wild child. And then they come super fancy with their Haribos. <laughs> I hated family. it. I ha yeah, in Germany, I hated it. And, you know, it was always like, but I was always so proud, you know, like I would hate all other kids just because my cousins are coming, you know, from somewhere else, somewhere, somewhere better, else, you yeah. know. Somewhere exotic. Uh, yeah, somewhere <laughs> exotic, you know. And then I would cry when they would leave, like I care, you know, like. like you just want the hair yeah, yeah, I would be crying, like, oh, and like, give me five euros at the end, you know. Yeah. That was uh, it was very weird, like with the uh, this, but yeah, okay. So you don't have some close family there at the moment. No, I have relatives, mm. but it's not anyone that I would yeah. go specifically yeah. there to visit. No. Well, it's very interesting all this because yeah, it's stories of uh, as I said, there is many similar stories of these kids and um, you know that kind of grow up in between places and don't belong anywhere nor it actually should be in a question that should be answered I feel you know like why yeah. do you need to have a do you miss kind of sense of belonging or not necessarily so I actually have a whole hour of a show that I'm working on eventually that I would like to do about this topic specifically about this whole thing of like you know, I have this theory, like, especially if you're a refugee, you can fit in anywhere and because you kind of have to. And, and uh, you know, 
you kind of you feel like you belong everywhere and nowhere at the same time sort of thing like people are surprised when I meet people they're surprised that I speak Spanish or Portuguese or know some Arabic and I know even just the cultural bits the music and all that but then obviously I'm not any of those things and I don't relate necessarily to being an American or completely Bosnian or you know so it's this weird thing of like it doesn't bother me so much now but it definitely is it was an interesting way to grow up because I had a lot of Serbians in the community and I was never Serbian enough to be, you know, we hung out, but it, it's very different. I had a Serbian guy tell me I was 14. He was my best friend. And he, at 14, knew, he, he told me, he was like, you know, you and I could never get married because you're not Eastern Orthodox. But imagine yeah. that mentality. Imagine being like one of the only half Bosnian, half Serbians. States. And that was in the States, exactly. So it was this weird thing of like, yeah, I grew up in America, but I also grew up surrounded by other immigrant yeah. communities about Americans that didn't know where the hell I came yeah, from. Some narratives will just keep reproducing, I guess. Yeah. That as well, yeah. So it was just this weird way of growing up, like it, you're surrounded by all things and then you don't fit in anywhere. But also you're kind of like, yeah. you can shapeshift sh- Yeah, you can like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you become a bit like, like a water, you know? Yeah. I, can go, I mean, that's a positive side of it. Uh, but another thing is what was interesting to me when I um, found you on Instagram. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is that uh, you are a professional belly dancer? Yes, I am. And yes. very successful because you're touring, touring around the world. Yeah, I used to do more tours. I'm hoping for next year to do that again. How uh, come that love came about? I uh, so I always liked dance, but I remember in high school I had a friend from Lebanon, and she was showing me uh, some of the music and some moves. And the music actually reminds me a lot of the Balkan music. It has a lot of the same. It's very upbeat and happy and pop, sort of this feeling. And I remember I just like looked up classes in my area and that was it. I was part of a professional dance company in the States. Uh, when I what that means, England. professional dance company? Like so you we would do gigs around Orlando and then... Uh, that it was so you become a group. member as an individual dancer or, or you are like a team group? We were in a group, yeah, okay, we were group. in a group. Okay. But I would also do solo stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did more solo stuff when I left the States when I moved to England. I, did, I studied there. Oh, yeah, so what yeah. did you study there? Uh, I did my master's in human rights. Okay. Yeah, okay. at Kingston University. Where in England? Kingston University, okay. so it's uh, just south of London. But I lived, I moved to London once I finished my studies. So I lived there for about three years. And when I was there, I was doing even more. So that's when I got to do competitions. And I won Miss Belly Dance UK 2012 and other competitions, things like that. And I also toured. I went to Norway. I went to uh, Germany as well. I went to Brazil and Argentina. Wow. That's huge there. Is like... You could live from this in part, so like, is it uh, profitable in a sense of generating some income? Probably, yeah. Yes, I believe in all arts. I mean, you have to fucking hustle. You yeah. have to, you have yeah, to hustle. Sure. I think I, I actually started about four years ago. I have a, a podcast all about the business of belly dance. So I teach people how to market themselves and, and do the websites and things, all that stuff. Okay. So, and I feel a lot of the same in comedy because people ask me in comedy, how do you market your shows? How do you do all this? And it's like, you can't be shy about it. You have to believe that you can do it. I think a lot of the times when it comes to any art, it's comedy or dance or fine art or anything like that, people are just so stuck in that mentality of starving artists or they feel like, well, who am I to make money off of this? And it's like, well, there's people that know less than you that are doing it. So yeah, just because you? of the confidence. Exactly. And because I think we are also fed with this image that uh, when it comes to art, that art, it's not work. There, there is also it's not the work and how dare you ask yes. to charge yes. for it. Yes. In That's any that. type of art. Yes. Like I, I, I have even art, friends, artists, they still, they don't think that they are working class. Which for me, it's a bit insane because you do fucking work, yeah. you know? But uh, if you don't believe in your work, how someone else will believe? Exactly. You know? That's also, if you feel insecure, if you feel, um, you know, that, that also comes like in which circles you're moving around. Uh, at the moment, I'm not like so much integrated that I'm like hanging out with comedians all the time because I'm somewhere else. But also like being surrounded with people who are not into you know it's you don't get always feedback you don't get like motivation bouncing off each other you know like kind of 
community support also because it's also but yeah as you said with the comes marketing you need to fucking believe in what you're doing yeah and that's how the people will get attracted to you yeah and i'm not saying at all anyone's listening this like oh she's making it sound sweet i'm not saying it's easy at all you have to fucking love what you're doing because there are days it's not going to work there are days that you're not going to sell out there are days that you do lose money or tour but you have you i really do believe if you really are in whatever you're doing for the love of it you where there's a will there's a way you yeah. you figure it out you figure it yeah, out yeah there way. is like uh for sure a rough period maybe on the beginning yeah. where also i learned for example five years ago where i was and in which way i was like living it's completely different than now and i think in one point just i think when i it's now it's going to sound very superficial but you know when i turned this 30 i i was like okay i'm going to stop waiting for someone validation to tell me you can do this fuck it i i want to do stand up comedy i'm going to do it and i want to start a podcast i don't need to wait your approval to tell me oh you're educated for this so you can do it um I can stop doing it whenever I want if I feel that I have nothing to offer anymore in this field or I don't have energy and so on. But there is this like general fear of trying stuff, new stuff, you know, and actually going by what you really want. And I was a bit scared, to be honest, how much I liked stand-up comedy that I was advocating that that's the truthest medium that exists today in the art, like fuck everything else. This is the this is the way to go because there is no uh, mediator between you and public. You know, you become like your true own voice, where immediately you can get your what you research. You can put it there and get like if it's bouncing yes or not. And uh, I was really like freed of this like waiting someone else to tell me what I can do or not. And then. From then, it really started to go much better in other fields that I'm doing, let's say contemporary art. The people are so intrigued with this uh, new medium that I started to do within my practice, that they were like, okay, how do you want to integrate this in contemporary visual art, you know? And it starts happening, I still don't know how. It's, I start to use my writings in my drawings, you know, it's kind of merging, it's still unfamiliar water, but it really pays off. When, you, when I started to say, hey, look, I'm producing one big work once a year. In between, I'm doing like podcasts, I'm doing stand-up comedy. When I took autonomy of my own actions and in which way I want to do something, people started to respect me and even call me much more in a sense, okay, this girl really knows you what she's doing. You have to keep, yeah. I think it's a whole thing of like staying in your lane and just keeping your head down and doing the work. Like, you need to surround yourself with people that are just as motivated as ambitious, which a lot of people, you think that they would be. A lot of people aren't. A lot of people are in it for their own ego, are in it to just, because it sounds cool. And you know what? Whatever, that's fine. But I think it's a, a mix of surrounding yourself by people that have the same sort of vision and goals and that uplift each other. And also just keeping your head down and doing the work and just going for it. Yeah. And, and I stopped taking advice for most things in life actually yeah. also i'm 33 now <laughs> and i realized so much of my my time was wasted waiting for permission waiting for someone to tell me yeah. you should do things that way or wait yeah, like to tell I, you oh you could do this exactly. and it's like i stopped yeah. I, so I, I don't ask for the only advice i would ask would be for something technical like how did you do this facebook ad for example mm. something like this or do you think this uh, the wording is okay you know, that's like yeah that's some yeah yeah that's a very mechanic sort of technical yeah. thing yeah but everything else i've stopped from from relationships to what i want to do like i've just stopped asking yeah. for advice and taking it and i just yeah i've just yeah. stopped because my problem was is that i was letting other people answer for me and kind of waiting for permission not trusting that i would know what's best for me yeah so that's the thing this trust and insecurity and uh, also, when I was like, you know, thinking what other will think about me doing this. Oh, am I too old? And I'm like, not experienced enough. And like, depends also what you're streaming. I, I never would expect, oh, tomorrow I'm a, some kind of big star or something. I came into this because I really enjoy making people laugh. And so, because I want, and also, it's a bit therapeutic. Therapy, exactly, because I'm full of opinions. 
like shit, you know? <laughs> and I think my friends really like that I'm doing it so they don't need to listen to that shit anymore. <laughs> I can put it on someone else. But um, it really channeled my anger. I'm, I still feel I'm very angry. I don't even know why, for what it's reason. It's Bosnian blood. Yeah. It's I'm just angry all the <laughs> time. <laughs> Wherever you put me in whichever country, yeah. I would still be angry about something, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, to trying to answer this anger and like it's, if I listen some daily news and something really makes me sick, to do this in a joke, it's almost like transformative process for myself, you know? Like, okay, I made something funny of my anger that I really enjoy and I hope other people will understand. Um, this, not as a, I'm spitting in your face, like criticizing so much, but like if you turn it around, it becomes like, not necessarily someone will agree 100% with the statement, but if you laugh, at least you understand the perspective where it comes from. And, you know, Exactly. There's a lot of people maybe they're there because of ego or something. And, you know, I really even with visual art, um, you know, I two, three years ago, I started one small Facebook page about transparency in art world and competition and so on too. like because there was huge competition merging between artists hiding stuff from each other, like open clothes and so, which I hate, you know, and I really never expected this would be like in the comedy, you know. But of oh, course, in every, every in every, every field, yeah. you know, you know, that I just kind of figure out, okay, this is not just comedy or visual everywhere. It's like that. Um, but for me, it was interesting instead of like really uplifting each other and building the scene, putting it up, because I think Berlin comedy scene, in my opinion, just miss a lot of self-confidence because there are amazing comedians, but. I feel we should be much more self-confident in the, what we are doing and that this is amazing. I'm not saying that there are no people without that, of course, but it's, it, it has, I hope it's gonna grow even more. And I think in Germany it's the only city at the moment that has like the biggest English comedy yeah. scene, yeah? Yeah, I would say in yeah. I'm not so familiar Europe, with German, so I cannot speak about that. Yeah, I would uh, say in Europe, <coughs> yeah, yeah. Berlin is the top. Oh, okay. Yeah. Berlin oh. and uh, Were you in Paris? Amsterdam. I don't know. What's it's a smaller scene compared oh, okay. to here. I, th- I would say Berlin is the biggest one. Okay, no. Yeah. I mean, I've never been to other cities, so now I'm just going to Vienna, so we'll see what's going to happen there. But uh, yeah, I feel like it's so much more. When I was now in, in New York and just going through to look at the open mics, I did one open mic. I was shit scared, thinking I'm like horrible, like, you know, because you hear about this comedy scene in New York and that everyone is amazing. Then you go to open mic and like 99% of open micers are shit that's the essence of the open mic though originally yeah it's not, it's not like here where open mics see but there the open mics are there for you to actually try out new things and for new people to start right here that's supposed to be the thing but what happens here in berlin is that there's so many open mics because no one wants to pay you yeah and so, so it's 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 actually sort of showcase people, quality. Exactly. You, you have people that are performing for years and they're not necessarily there to try out new things. It's just that they need stage they need time. Stage they want time to, yeah. to maybe promote their own paid things yes. or to do, you know. So I'm not saying it's it's bad to have open mics, but yeah, it's a very different because open mics supposed yeah. to be for you to be shit. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Start and be shit. But, you know, like, and I was better. having this, like, um, um, feeling that I'm less valid you know or not having so so you know i went on the stage and i did okay you know pretty well that unexpected i got even invitation for one more show but i i needed to leave the day after because i left it for the last day to do open mind because i was scared but i was going every night i spent all of my fucking money there to look at the people and i mean it's huge city and like the amount or reciprocity of how many comedians is here there than here it's like you cannot scale that uh, but I think like the quality, we should not be like shy on anything. Yeah. These jokes here are like great. Yeah, and I think Berlin is a great place to do comedy because you accelerate. If you want to, you can accelerate. Really. I mean, take. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying I'm, I'm like the shit or anything, but I've been doing comedy less than a year, yeah. like 10 months, 10 and a half months. And the fact that this is like comedy adjacent things are like my job. Mm-hmm. The fact that I've... I can do it in other countries. The fact that I can produce other shows and things like that. Like you have a path if you really want to take it and you work your ass off and you keep yeah. going. There's a way. Whereas in the States, it would be a lot harder. Yes, I can imagine. A lot harder. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm also like technically since February 
that I'm doing it regular, you know, like on a weekly basis. And, and I completely understand, like if you work hard, if you're really devoted to this, you can easily be uh, recognized as a hard worker, you know, you can escalate, like there is not even like, of course there is a, like as I say, talent aspect, but if you work hard on your material and going regularly, you can really go fast up. But uh, tell me about the process, like, you know, producing shows, what means this? Like, of course you, you need to scout the venue, you need to promote the show. And like have the topic. You have now two shows that you're working on. Yeah, so what I found, and I'm glad I found this out very quickly, is that themed shows work the best. For me personally and for the audience. So my shows are themed. So the last, the first two shows that I produced here in Berlin, uh, one was called Dodgy Day Job, which is now going to be a regular in Berlin every first and third and Thursday of, of the month starting from October. Uh, that is all about crappy jobs. <laughs> So the audience also gets to write down on a piece of paper. They have prompts. It's like uh, the worst job I ever had was or the most secret, uh, the most toxic job I ever had or the juiciest work gossip. So they fill that out. And then it's like we, I get to read it in the beginning, after the break, you know, try to get the audience involved. So it's more like crowd work. It's, yeah. It is. And it's more interactive. Mm -hmm. And that's what the audience likes without being like <coughs> you're going to a crowd work show and you're too scared to sit in the front because people are terrified, you know. So that's a way for me to also get the audience involved without, with, with complete respect, without being like, we're going to shit and on you. And you love the topic, night. I know. I do love the topic. I really, uh, <laughs> I've worked so many crap jobs. It comes from anger, huh? It comes from anger. It comes from experience. And I'm so glad I, I you know, I'm not going to say, like, that I'm too proud to ever work a job if I ever need to again, but I really hope that's not the case. Like, I've paid my dues <laughs> working crap jobs since I was, like, 16. Okay, so... Uh, so that is a theme topic that really worked well the first time. And then the second show I produced was also a theme, uh, but it worked for just a one-off. It was called Culturally Confused, which was a sort of immigrant type of show where I had uh, the entire lineup sort of stick to, like, what makes you feel sort of culturally confused. So going back to, like, the thing, like, I'm from the Balkans, but I'm a belly dancer that can read Arabic quicker than Cyrillic, like, you know, so... It's sort of that, that topic, and that worked out really well, too. Um, and so the, the other show that I'm producing, it's going to be every first Friday of the month from October onwards. Uh, it's a dating game show. So that's the third one. That's, that's the second regular one. Okay, yeah, second, yeah. okay. Yeah. And uh, that's going to be just with the audience. So it's going to be like, a, you know, those like dating shows that you, you see on, on TV where there's like a bachelor and you ask questions. Oh, wow. It's like this, except uh, the friend of the single person is going to answer questions for them. Nice. So that, and that's a way to get the audience involved. I don't have to think about a lineup. It's just me. As yeah. The host. And so that's the theme shows where I focus more on the audience enjoying and then very few comedians. Like the Dodge mm. Day Job one is only going to have three comedians. Mm. And so two in the first yeah. and then a headliner at the second uh, half yeah. closing. And time-wise and everything, that works out best for me because I don't want to... The thing that I learned very quickly, even taking over as host when, when Chris or Drago weren't mm. available, uh, taking over their shows is the lineup stuff and communicating people asking to switch lineup that mm, one yeah that my kills world. my soul yeah so i was like screw it if i'm gonna be doing this show i'm gonna do it this way mm. and have as few comedians as possible with more time mm. that way and then ahead of time because it's every first and third for example then i've already had the lineup for the next two months right yeah for my show so yes. that way i know everyone knows and it's paid as well yes. so everyone's like so it committed a bit more. Yeah. yeah yeah the third show i ever produced was actually in lisbon and i had a, a very good co-producer named shinyi and so she lives there and she's also a friend of mine so she was able to to ask the comedians do the lineup and then get in touch with the venue and and that was kind of it and then i hosted the show so that was helpful to have someone that was very organized as well and that show is also themed. It's called Lisbon, I Love You. You know, from the movie Paris, I Love You, or New York, I Love You. And that show was more about, like, our love slash hatred, maybe, for Lisbon. Like, I love Lisbon. So that was kind of like a little tribute show to the scene there and, and the city. And then everyone that came there, they, they sort of knew what to expect. It was going to be very Lisbon-themed topics or sort of this immigrant topic as well. So themed shows have worked out the best for me because the audience knows what they're going into. They can be part of it as well, if it's like a writing a prompt type thing. And uh, that way, I feel like it's also training them to be part of the show without making them scared to yeah. be sitting in the front row and yeah. to get called on. Yeah. So I work really hard to make sure that my shows 
are very inclusive and that the audience also feels comfortable. Like, I'm not going to... I always say, like, don't be afraid. I'm, I'm, I'm really nice. I'm not going to yeah. make fun of you. And I think also it's very different what I've noticed because this is obviously a male-dominated field. When you do crowd work, a lot of people don't know how to talk to women. It's amazing to me. Yeah, actually, there is also not so, so many female hosts. You know? That as well, but even just when you yeah. see the male comedians, it's, they don't know how to talk to the women. And they end up talking, uh, you would never, like rule of thumb, I would say, you never talk about a woman's looks. Because we have a whole other thing, like, yeah. a whole other back, like, history of, like, yeah. of insecurities about our looks. Yeah, yeah. And I would never, in a comedy show, insult yeah. a woman yeah. in that way. And that, I mean, that also comes from, from being a dancer and, and when we... When we're dancing at gigs and stuff, you always pay attention to the women first to make them feel more comfortable because they don't know, yeah. you know, you over here dancing and they're here with their boyfriends or family members or whatever and they're like, who's this person? So you always try to talk to the women first to make them feel more comfortable. Um, so yeah, so I've gotten some really good feedback from the audience with regards to that, some really, really sweet messages uh, about how comfortable they felt being in the front row, for example, things like that. And so that's the kind of the way I want the shows to be like themed so that everyone's on board with what the topic is and also like mm. training the audience to be comfortable yeah i think exactly the it's more uh, i'm sometimes even surprised like i mean in berlin you have every night one or more shows in english i don't even count german because i'm not familiar with them but like um and there is always public you know because of course there's a lot of tourists and this is great you know like we don't need much of education for public they know what stand-up comedy is luckily you know but um, you know so it's great to make them like like you said like comfortable I have friends that also never would like to sit in the front row thinking it's gonna be roasted and so on but yeah this is great and uh, but is it hard to get the venue on board because I mean not every show that we are produ that you're producing or someone else it's uh, done in a comedy club no, so the shows that I'm doing now, one of them wanted c more comedy. So someone reached out and said, hey, if you want to do shows here, contact this guy. And I contacted him. It's a Colin Krella in Prenzlauerberg. Yeah. He was looking for more comedy shows. And so um, we had a deal that he gave me every Thursday. But a weekly show is just too much for me because then I also can't. I'm trying to also travel and do more stuff. Yeah, it's just I can't do that. So uh, I thought, okay, I'll start with the two Thursdays a month and then I gave the other weeks to other comedians um, to do their stuff and then the other show is going to be at Z Bar that was a reservation I took over from Propaganda Comedy they had a standing reservation with them the first Friday of the month that they weren't going to do yeah. any shows that, and they asked me if I wanted to do it that month. That's cool that's cool and I guess do they take provision on the shows? Yeah, it depends on the venue. Um, some of them will take maybe a percentage. Some of them will take a flat fee. It really does depend. Obviously, the ones that you, if you can convince, especially if it's a new venue, if you can convince them, hey, we're going to be bringing in this many people. You don't have to do any marketing. I mean, it'd be helpful if you did marketing, like reshare and stuff. But yeah, if we don't meet the bar tab, we'll then like take a look or maybe pay the difference or whatever. Um, that's a good way to negotiate, especially with newer venues. But the comedy clubs will have a fee. Um, I don't know how much Cosmic charges, but Moz charges a fee. I mean, it all depends, right? If you're going to do it at a comedy club, a weekly show might not be the best, like a one-off thing, but it also depends on what relationship yeah. you have with, yeah. with the club. Oh, great. I mean, your finance background really pays <laughs> It really does. I used to be a debt collector. So <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I would not know where to start. I mean, it's yeah. just I can. I mean, I don't know if you would like having one parallel job, like full time job. You would. It's crazy, you know, a lot of work. You know, it is. It, it's a lot of work. And, and at the end, it's not just hosting, and you are like making shows. You do your material exactly. as well. Exactly. My own material, and yeah. then producing, and then marketing, and all that stuff. That's. What I mean, it's not easy. It's not easy yeah. at all. You hustle a lot. But for me personally, I would rather work. 80 hours a week for myself than mm. 40 yes. hours a week for anyone else. Yes, so this, this is why so I came into better. art. I was thinking I don't want to work for anyone else and then like 40 hours a week. Now I ended up working like 80 hours yeah. a week yeah. <laughs> for but like for less money ever. <laughs> yeah, but it's, yeah. yeah. But I, for, again, I can't speak yeah. for other people or for yourself, but for me, 
it's it feels like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders it's just the motivation i'm not saying it's it's easy and i'm not saying every day i'm like yeah let's do this i'm like oh my god i don't feel like figuring out facebook ads <laughs> for this for example uh but it's for me personally it's so much more satisfying and it feels when you hustle at something and when you're trying to promote your shows and then to see people like the first uh, all of the first three shows i produced knock on wood now i'm gonna jinx it uh all sold out so just to see that like we made that happen we put in the, the fact that i got to pay the comedians as well which yeah. you know doesn't happen <laughs> in berlin and so that is like also a proud moment because you're like, oh, this is like working. Now I'm not saying every show that I do is gonna, obviously it happens. You're gonna have to cancel maybe some shows and you're gonna have maybe 10 people in there instead of 50. Yeah. But it's, you see the direct result of the work that you put in mm. when you So you are like selbstständig at the moment, yes? Yes. And you got your permanent residency recently, yes. yes. Uh, selbstständig or? It's just a, ah, because you're it's a permanent residency, so I can do whatever. Yeah, 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 but yeah. Uh, when you were applying, I mean, I'm not, I just applied for mine. I mean, I sent an email with all documents, and uh, but you know, I w I'm also applying as Zepstendig, and but you also were like here long enough so you could apply. And yeah, it doesn't have a provision, so I was yeah. employed. Uh, the, uh, my former job. You at were that time. employed at the time, yeah. Yeah, okay. but so when you apply, it doesn't have to. It's, it was just because I'd been here for so long. Ah, okay. It wasn't like but for me, I'm thing. I'm long enough, but still, as a Zepstein, I needed to do all audit report and shit, you know, because that's I just always worked as Zepstein. I, yeah, 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 I never I never worked why, yeah. as a bit employee. Yeah, yeah. No, like, I was always employed. I never had a, even um, part time. Since I, I've been now here. I have also permission to do whatever because of COVID. They gave, I was like five years, so they was like, okay, now we can do whatever. But till then, my only possible employment was. To work within arts, arts and culture literally was written in my visa like yeah. free uh, freelancer within arts and culture which means you're gonna start but then. did you have a freelancer visa or did you have an artist visa artist freelance visa so it's it's a selbstständig but just in bereich von okay. um, art and culture they must have changed it because when i first got here i got an artist visa and yeah. i could do anything related to arts, i mean anything. i guess this is called like uh, i guess that's called artist because after I finished my university, I got this 19 months, you know, of job searching, but, um, and you know, I worked whatever, you could do at that time work whatever, but then after this 90, I just switched to be a freelance artist. And, you know, I have this, my, my text number as an artist, and luckily I don't need to get another one for the stand-up comedy because it's very broad field. If I, I didn't wrote visual artist or like some music artist, it's just artist. And this is how I also got my visa, so, but now, I got permission that I can work in Lidl, for example. I, before that, I could just... It's not easy to like always do invoices as an artist because you don't get so much fee every month, you know? I get fee from exhibitions, but not enough on a monthly basis to make my living. So I was always need to work as a production assistant in the companies, but uh, or guide for museums, but, you know, they don't want... Uh, freelancer, they want your own contract, and then from the, it was a whole mess. Really, really hustle. This is where I learned how to hustle and network and go to events, even if I'm not in fucking mood to go. I was like social whore. I was going everywhere, like to meet people, to to speak, to like network because I needed to pay my bills. That was my first year yeah. too. Yeah, same. I went to so many uh, when I first got here. In addition to teaching dance, I was also doing uh, web and graphic design. Yeah. And I was just going to so many startup events and things like that just to like, like, hey, do you need a... Yeah, <laughs> you need to do night. something. Yeah. yeah, but luckily after that, uh, I got also like my burden went off when they said like, you can do whatever. So I could sign the contracts, you know, I could sign contract with if I need fast money, I could really find easy job. I don't need to think about invoice or working under the table or stuff like that. So. Like, hopefully I get this permanent residency as well this year, and uh, yeah, I don't know, but let's yeah, see. Yeah, it took yeah. me a long time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I mean, completely. now for me it's seven years in Germany as well, yeah. so hopefully it's going to happen soon. So let's uh, finish this with the promoting of your upcoming shows, maybe? Yes, so if you're in, I was going to say, if you're in Berlin, but I'll be producing in, in Portugal as well. Uh, so I will have... As I mentioned, two regular shows here in Berlin starting October. So the first Friday of the month, October onwards, it's the Berlin Comedy Dating Show. 
which as I mentioned is if you are single and looking for a date, you just bring a friend to the show and they will answer the questions for you. It's going to be a really fun game show. And uh, so that's going to be at Z Bar and every first and third Thursday of the month. It's uh, the Dodgy Day Job show, which is, as I mentioned, all about uh, crappy jobs you've had. So that's where you get to vent. And honestly, as an audience member, you get to write down on a piece of paper what the hottest work gossip you ever heard was or what your worst job was. And oh, my make fun God. Of it. Yes, if we all have those stories. And then you also hear uh, from, from three different comedians every time yeah. uh, about their, their yeah. crappy job experiences. And I'll be producing shows as well uh, in... Lisbon, I don't yet have the, the dates. And Lisbon and maybe Porto as well. I don't yet have the dates for that. But if you are on Instagram, you can follow me yeah. there. And I yeah, will post I'm going to hook you all Yeah, so it's Jonna Fazich, Z-A-N-A, And I will post about everything there. Cool, cool, cool. Thank you for all this conversation. I hope people will like it. I really love that we spoke a bit about, you know, this anger actually that comes into comment because you speak really a lot about immig immigrant community and that's that's how we actually uh, got to this podcast and for me that's interesting. Um, so yeah, thank you for being here. I'm looking forward for your uh, dodgy job comedy. Maybe one day I come, I have, for me the most, uh, it's, it's not even about the job. I didn't come to the job. For me, we're always <laughs> the interviews. Yeah, Those were the nights. That counts. That, that counts. Yeah. For me, the, the interviews, I never came to the job. You know, like, <laughs> it always ended, always ended with the interview, you know? But even the process of towards the interview was always, uh, you know, mind-blowing. And in Bosnia, where, you know, I was serving a coffee to another coffee bar working in one, it's, it's insane. But uh, it all came from the, you know, from the good place and not, not knowing. And, uh, yeah, I, some, some of them I even blocked. You know, like, <laughs> and then someone remind me, do you know when you went yeah, there to this wrong address? Well. Oh my God, it's like, don't remind me. Yeah, like, I'm embarrassed, but uh, yeah, it's all, it's all good. And uh, so yeah, thank you for being in my podcast. Thank hope, you for having me. Hope people will like it. And uh, just to do the uh, end, it's, uh, yeah, you can write to my podcast um, on my Instagram or email, which is all written in the in the description if you have some topics some guests that you would like me to invite or if you like to do a podcast please do it <laughs> i can give you a platform and uh yes i also made my uh, patreon page if you would like you can support me or one-time support you can buy me a coffee to me and my guests i would be very happy about it so please share and have a nice day ciao ciao bye Broken English. Broken English.